Okay, good morning. I've been asked by Dudi to uh, make a few announcements before I begin this year. Um, due to the global pandemic of coronavirus, COVID-19, as of today and until further notice, Torah Way won't be held at its regular location, Kilas El Moshe, but where and when possible from the homes or bottom edrish of the respective Magide Shir. To find out how to watch or listen to a live or previous shir, or access the archive of our library of thousands of shiurim, and to keep updated with any updates from Torah Way, please visit www.torahway.org.uk. Um, it is Chaf Vov Adar, the 22nd of March. My name is Rabbi Golka, and this is a shir, a parsha shir on the Torah Way. Ah, yes, and one final announcement. Uh, this week's Torah Way has been sponsored by Family Friedlander uh, to uh, Eli Friedlander and Terry Grasnas. It should be a bas on Bisrael, the shame Ulatiferes. So this week's Parsha, <coughs> Parsha's Vayikra, as ever, contains messages which are timely and which are timeless and uh, speak to us in these very difficult times. The Pasuk says, the parasha begins, Vayikra el Moshe vayedabe Hashem elov me'ohel mo'ed leimer. Now famously, the first word in the parasha, Vayikra, has a small aleph. The Balaturim, on the spot, says the following, I'm, I've got a sheet, normally I give the shir, there are physical uh, people in the room, and I've got handouts. If anyone would like to, uh, to see the handout, please email me, and later, Blineda, I will send you the sheet at j.golka at gmail.com. The Balaturim on this pasuk says the following, Aleph de Vayikra Zeira, the Aleph of the word Vayikra is small. Shem va'onov. Moshe Rabbeinu was a godl and was an onov, was a humble person. He really wanted the Pasuk to say, Vayokar, not Vayikra. As if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is just appearing to him in a dream. Like it says with Bilam, as it was, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is only appearing to Bilam, it's a Moshe Rabbeinu, sorry, but Mikra, it was a chance, it was a chance encounter. The Omla Kodesh Baruch and Kodesh Baruch Hu says, "Lichtev Gam Aleph." No, I want you to write Vayikra with an Aleph, because I want it to be Vayikra that Kodesh Baruch Hu is calling out to Moshe Rabbeinu. It should be a proper communication, a proper dibur, and Moshe Rabbeinu wanted it to be a chance, Vayokar B'Chaloim, not a proper direct link. Veshuv Amaloi Moshe continues the Balaturim. Veshuv Amaloi Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu continues, Mach Masrei Vanova, due to his immense humility, Shelo Yichtevene Ele Katano. Let's compromise. Let's write the Aleph small, and therefore, Yosem Isha Alfin, smaller than the regular Aleph, Shebetere Vekosvektano. And that was the compromise. He won't say Vayokar, he won't say Vayikra normally, he'll be Vayikra with a small Aleph. You see the immense humility of Moshe Rabbeinu. We've all been inundated with uh, WhatsApps and messages, and I'm sure everyone received or saw uh, the letter that Reb Chaim Kanievsky, Zazayin Gesund, he suggested that we strengthen ourselves in various areas. One is, of course, to avoid Lashon Hara, and he focused on the Midah of Anova, and to be Ma'ava al 
As per the Rosh in Hurrius Yudala Domadalaf. What is that Rosh? What exactly is Reb Chaim referring to? Let's learn the Gemara together and we'll take a look at it. It's a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara says there in Hurrius Daf Yudalad Omadalf. Famous old Machlaikas. Omar Rabbi Echadan. Pligibor Rabbonan. Sorry, Pligibor Rabbonan. The Rabbonan and Rabbonan and Gamliel disagreed over the following matter. Chadomar Sinai Odif. One said that Sinai is Odif. Someone who is Oikeharim is better. What is Sinai and what is Oikeharim? So Rashi says, Sinai Odif, Sinai Sinai is someone whose Torah greatness lies in his breadth of knowledge. He, 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 has a, he knows a lot of Mishnayas, a lot of Brises. And that is preferable. Sinai Odif is preferable to someone who is Oikeharim. What is Oikeharim? Says Rashi, to Kharif um Fulpul Batoira. He's got he's a, he's, he's Kharif, he's very sharp, he's very clever, he has tremendous powers of analysis. So Khadoma Sinayodif, it's better to have this sort of broad, extensive knowledge. And one says, no, okay, Harim is if you have sharp uh, powers of analysis, if you're a Mafalpel, when you can take a Gemara and you can learn and it contradicts the Gemara here, and you can Mafalpel. It's a little bit like the Bakias Bean debate, not quite the same, but like that. You know, in um, in the heyday of Velozhin, when the Velozhin in the later latter half of the 19th century, Velozhin was shot in 1892. Reb Chaim Soloveitchik joined the Natsiv, his wife's grandfather, in 1880 to become the joint Rosh Hashiva. That period, 1880 to 1892, was perhaps those were the golden years of Velozhin, and it's interesting in those years. You had two very different Rosh Hashiva. The Nitziv was much older, of course. He, was the, he married the, the granddaughter of Reb Chaim Velozhin, the founder of the Yeshiva. He married the daughter of Reb Itchalim Velozhin. And his, his style was much more slow and steady and methodical. And it was to cover everything. You would start with brachas. The seder there in Velozhin was very different. You started a, se- a mesechta, and you worked your way through, and you'd finish a mesechta. You start with brachas, and eventually you finish with the nida, and you go through everything. He had a seder every morning to learn Chumash Rashi. Ha'emek Dava, the famous pirish of the Natsiv, is the fruit of that shir. The Chaim Soloveitchik, on the other hand, who happened to be, by the way, his wife's, uh, so the, the Chaim Soloveitchik's wife was the granddaughter of the Natsiv. The Rafal Shapira was the son-in-law of the Natsiv, and his daughter married Chaim Soloveitchik. Rafal Shapira amazingly stepped down from being the Rebbe, the sort of second Rosh Hashiva in, in Velozhin, and uh, he allowed his son-in-law, Chaim Soloveitchik, to take over. He felt that he would do a better job. And he took a rabbinic position elsewhere. And Reb Chaim Soloveitchik and the Natsiv were the two joint Rosh Hashiva. Now they were very different. Reb Chaim Soloveitchik was, uh, was explosion, was, was brilliance, was lightning. And he was the Oike Harim. The Natsiv really was the, was the Sinai, the slow, methodical, all-encompassing, broad, uh, extensive uh, knowledge of Torah. Anyway, so the Gemara wants to know which one is better. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yosef Sinai, Rabbi Yosef was a Sinai, he had the breadth of uh, Torah knowledge, and Rabbah was Oikeharim. He, he was very sharp and very uh, analytical. 
So Shalchu Tamon, the Gemara says then, Harius Yudalitz, they sent a message to the, the Gedoyim in Eretz Yisrael, Eizul Mehen Kaidim. Which, which one takes precedence? They had to choose between Rabbi Yosef and Rabba to be the Rosh Hashiva. So Shalchu Luhu, so they sent the message back, Sinai Odif, Sinai is preferable. Da'amamar, Hakot Srichin Lemarichitya, everyone needs uh, the owner of wheat, and therefore, you know, you can be a very brilliant, but if you don't uh, have reference to all the Bryces and all the Mishnayas, then you're going to be limited. So therefore, Sinai Odif. Vafidu Hachi continues the Gemara, Loi Kabul Rabbi Yosef Nevertheless, Rabbi Yosef did not accept the position upon himself. And then, Moloch Rabba Esri Vatar Tishonin, and therefore Rabba took the position, he ruled, he was the Rosh Hashiva for 22 years, for Hodem Moloch Rabbi Yosef, and then Rabbi Yosef uh, took over. For Chol Shnei de Moloch Rabba, in all the years that Rabba was the Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Yosef Afidu Umna Lebeisa Lecholif. Rabbi Yosef didn't even let a blood letter to, into, his, into his house. Now Rashi says, interestingly, Rashi says, Umna Lebeisa Lecholif. Says Rashi, He didn't want to accept any position of leadership, of authority, for all those years that when Rabba was the Rosh Hashiva. He didn't want to have any worker come to his house. That was a sign of prestige. Rabba, who was the Rosh Hashiva, would have people come to his house as a, as a situation of honor. When he wanted to have some blood let, the blood letter would come into Rabbah's house. And, and Rabbi Yosef, because he didn't want to take any vestige of authority, of, of, um, of leadership, when the blood letter would go to Rabbah's house, Rabbi Yosef would go to Rabbah's house and have his blood let there. That's one pshat in Rashi. The Istagarsi, another pshat in Rashi, just by the way, I'm reminded, that uh, they said of Rav Shleim Zalman, the great Rav Shleim Zalman Arbach, that when he wanted to take a haircut, the, uh, the hairdresser said, I'll come to you, Rosh Shiva. I'll come to your house and I'll make sure that I'll, you have to trouble yourself to come. People, you know, your, your time is so precious. And Rav Shleim Zalman resisted. I remember when, often when I'm in Yerushalayim, I'm in Shari Chesed, and I see that barber shop, I'm reminded of that incident. That Rav Shleim Zalman was so humble that he wouldn't think of it. I'm going to go to the barber shop. Why should you come to me? That Rabbi Yosef refused to take any position of leadership in all the years that Rabbi was the Rosh Hashiva. He didn't even want he didn't even have time to let his blood. He deferred and he gave so much cover to Rabbi that he didn't even have time to have his blood let. Okay, either way, you see in those 22 years that Rabbi Yosef showed tremendous covert to, to Rabba. Now, Rabbi Chaim says, take a look at the Tosa Rosh there. The, the Rosh there says an amazing thing. He quotes the various Pshatim, and he quotes a Ramah. The Ramah says this, Pirush, Kach, Hoyil v'shehishpil Rav Yosef as atzmai, since Rabbi Yosef sort of was machnia himself, he lowered himself, and he didn't want to take any position of authority in front of Rabbah. 
that protected, that protected him. That humility was megin, it was a shield, it protected him. And on all the members of his own family. That no one got sick. For 22 years, when Rabbi Yosef deferred to Rabbi and showed tremendous anivas, in the zuchus of that, he didn't need the blood letter. He didn't even need a blood letter to come to his house for him or for his entire family. Says the Rosh, that's my preferred pshat, an amazing pshat. Due to the incredible humility of Rabbi Yosef, that they were choosing the two Rosh Hashivas and they went for Rabbi in the end, he expressed so much hachna, uh, so much humility towards Rabbi that he didn't even need the blood letter to come to his house. Anava therefore goes a long way. That's what Reb Chaim Kanievsky is referring to. The Urcha Sadikim in the beginning of Shar uh, Sheni and Shar Anava says the following: Ha'anava he mida toiva, for he hepach ha'gaiva. It's the opposite of gaiva. Umishi yeshbo ha'mida hazois, and someone who has got this wonderful mida, kvaheshiv nafsha mekam minerois. He can he can save himself from a lot of trouble. Umishi gial malazois hanichbedes, and someone who can rise to this very lofty level. He gets schar according to the degree of his humility. Anova is the is the sheresh is one of the roots is one of the keys to avodas Hashem. Listen to this. One small act done by anova miskaba lifnei Hashem baruchu is accepted before Hakadosh Baruchu. Elef yodos yose mimaisa godel shalagaiva. A thousand times more than an act which was done with a degree of arrogance. It occurred to me that when we say Vayitin Lecha on Motzei Shabbos, Vayitin Lecha is full of psukim, of brachas and uh, sugulas and yeshuas that will protect us in the week ahead. I remember my father, Zechariah of Rachel, used to say that Rabbi, he used to go to Wednesday night Rabbi Roberts' shir. And Rabbi Roberts once said, he often would tell us what Rabbi Roberts used to say, and he used to say he doesn't understand how can people not say Vayitin Lecha. It's the source of bracha for the whole week. So you see lots of beautiful psukim. There's one part in it, I was thinking, like, you know, when I was saying v'yitin lecha, it doesn't seem to make that much sense. What's the relevance of the bracha for the forthcoming week? The very end of v'yitin lecha we say, Omer b'yechanan, b'chol makam sh'atamoytze g'dosh sh'akadosh baruch hu, sh'amatamoytze amvasunusay. You find the humility of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Tovzeh Kosov Batayra, Sharon Benavim, Sharon Benavim, Why is the humility of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which we have to imitate, why is that a source of bracha for the week ahead? So perhaps this is exactly the point. If a person really wants to succeed in the week ahead, the best Eitzah, as we leave Shul Motzei Shabbos, and we enter our new week, is to think of Anova. Anova, as the Urcha Sadikim says, an act done with Anova is miskabel elef yodos yosim imaisegodoshel gaiva. It's accepted, it's so much, it goes so much further. And of course, this is what the Teisa Rosh is saying in the Gemara there in, in Horius, it's protective, and it's a, it's a wonderful middah. People, and this I think leads neatly into another idea from this week's parsha. The Pasuk continues in Perek Beis, Psukim Yud Aleph and Yud Gimel, the Pasuk says this, Kol ha-mincha she-takrivu l'ashem se-chometz ki kol sa'er v'chol dvash lo-saktir mimeno ishe l'ashem. Any mincha which you offer up to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, 
You're not allowed to have any dvash, any honey on the carbon. You must put salt on the carbon. And the passage continues, You've got to make sure there's melach, there's salt, on every single carbon. So, the passage tells us, No honey, but yes salt. What is the message? So I once heard a beautiful pshat. What is the difference between salt and between honey? Imagine you go home and you're cooking and you want to cook some chicken. What is the difference if you add salt or if you had honey? When you add honey to the food, honey deviates, it distorts the actual taste of the chicken. It's not real chicken, it's honey-flavored chicken. But if you were to add salt to the chicken, that brings out the natural flavor of the chicken. And that's exactly the point. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when you bring a carbon, this is what Parshas Vayikra is all about, the whole Sefer now. When you bring a carbon, it really is a reflection that this should be you. Therefore, the grace of Redbon Shalom Goai. That's really what it's saying. And therefore, I want you to fulfill your potential. I don't want you to try and distort who you should be. Don't add honey to the carbon. Add salt, because salt is what brings out the real essence, the real flavor, the real person. Now, often, I think people confuse true humility with false humility. And this is exactly the point. The marshal I always give in school is this. Imagine you get a teacher who says he wants to do a class, uh, let's say a Haggadah. He wants to prepare, all the boys prepare a Dvatura, and they're going to put together a beautiful Haggadah for Pesach. And then he needs someone to draw a front cover. So he says to the class, who here is a good artist? Who can draw a nice front cover for our class Haggadah? So imagine there are two boys in the class. They're both excellent artists. One of them is thinking, I'm not going to put up my hand. Well, I should show off and tell everyone that I'm a great artist. But the other boy thinks, no, if I've got a gift, I'll use it. I just won't show off about it. That is the difference between false humility and true humility. A person should put up his hand and say, yes, HaKadosh Baruch gave me a talent that I can draw, but I have to use it in the most positive way possible. They <coughs> tell a story of Rav Zalman Orbach, two stories, which I think brings this out. Rav Zalman, as I'm sure many people know, he had an anathema to, to Gaiva. He hated covered and all the honor that was uh, lavished on him. He couldn't bear it. But one time, when he, many times, he was offered to be a sandak at a bris. Everyone wanted to be Mechabed Shlomo Zalman to be the sandak at their family bris. And there was a famous mall in Yerushalayim that he would uh, call out Mechubed Hagan Harshiva Tzadik Shlomo Zalman Arbach Sandakos. One night, that moil got a phone call. He says, uh, good evening, it's Shlomo Zalman here. Shlomo Zalman, I know many Shlomo Zalman. Shlomo Zalman who? He says, it's Shlomo Zalman Orbach. He goes, do you mean the Tzadik, the Rosh Shiva, the Agon, Shlomo Zalman? He says, look, Shlomo Zalman said to him, you officiate at many bris and you're a moil. He says, please, I beg you, do not call me up anything other than Haraf Shlomo Zalman Orbach. Please just remove all those accolades. I can't bear it. And, if, and he said, very sharp, he said, if you continue to call me up with all those lavish titles, I will refuse to be a sanduk at a bris which you are performing as the moil. Contrast that to another story of Shlomo Zalman. Shlomo Zalman one time <coughs> had a very difficult uh, uh, predicament. A family 
approached him. They had a young man, a teenage boy, who was special needs, and the teenager he lived at home. But the family knew that it was uh, it wasn't working out, and he would be much better off in a special home for young men. And he wasn't interested in going. And the family discussed it with Rishlema Zalman, who agreed that this is the best place for him. So he said, Rishlema Zalman said, let me speak to the young man and I'll try and persuade him to enter into this new place. So he called the boy in and the young man sat with the great Sadiq Rishlema Zalman. And Rishlema Zalman said this to him. He said, do you know who I am? No. He said, my name is Shlema Zalman Orbach. I am one of the greatest poskim of our time. I am the Rosh Hashiva of one of the greatest yeshivas. He said, many great Rabbonim, when they're stuck, they come to me and ask their Shilas. And I want to give you, he says to this young man, I want to give you smicha. Me, smicha? Yeah, because I've got a special job for you. There's a certain school in the neighborhood, and they need a mashkiach. They need someone to be a resident in that school. And I want you to go there. And once a month, you'll come back to me. We'll spend a bit of time. You'll report back about the spiritual standing of the place. Would you be able to do that? Sure. Thank you so much. With pleasure. Shlomo Zalman solved the problem. But think about these two stories. On one hand, there was an anathema, a genuine distaste for any covet. On the other hand, there was an absolute recognition of who he was. Don't we say the same with Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu, exactly the same. He was on of Mikol Adam. Okay. Let's, uh, let us uh, move on. The Pasuk says in Parakal of Pasuk Yudal and Pasuk Yudzain, the imin ha'oif Allah karbona l'ashem, the shissa oiso bechnafov, and he 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 tears, he splits with the feathers, the hikte oisa akenam is beicha laitzim ashaloish, oilahu isherech nechach l'ashem. Another vot, a famous vot. There is an interesting Rashi on this Pasuk. The Torah tells us that you bring the carbon, you've got to split it, and you offer up the carbon with the feathers, with the noitzah. Says Rashi there, Bechnafav with the feathers, noitzah mamish with the actual feathers. Says Rashi, There is no ordinary person who can smell the reach ra, the foul odor of burning feathers, without becoming nauseated. Why therefore does the Torah say that you have to burn the feathers? So that the Mizbeach should be full, and beautified, What's Pshat? So I once saw an amazing, amazing Pshat. Think about how this works in practice. Imagine you want to bring a carbon. So if a person is not wealthy, his neighbor could bring this very, very fancy carbon, a big par which would, he'll schlep it along, they'll shecht it, it'll be on the Mizbeach for hours until you burn the whole thing. And his neighbor, who's an Oni, who's a poor person, will come along with a little bird. They'll burn it. If they just burn the flesh of this animal, it will take 30 seconds, a quick barbecue. Says the Torah, no. Have chesed, have rachmonus on this poor person. Don't let him be in and out of the base Hamidash so quickly. Let him come in. Let him burn the feathers. That will prolong the whole process and more importantly it will save him a little bit of embarrassment and therefore burn the feathers maybe that's a reich ra but for me that's a reich nechayach if it saves him embarrassment that it prolongs his stay in the Beis HaMikdash that he won't be in and out in two seconds and that his poverty will not be displayed so blatantly so therefore that's reich nechayach 
And you see the same thing with Bikurim. The post, the Gemara says in Baba Basra, sorry, Baba Kama, Tafsadi Beisom Adalef, Omelei Rava Lerabo, Bamori, Minaha Milsa Domri Inshi Bosa Anya Ozlan Yosa. What's the source? Where do you know, where do you see this concept that poverty follows the poor? That Bosa Anya Ozlan Yosa. Omelei, Tisnan, it's a mission in Bikurim. Ashirim Mivin Bikurim Beklosa Shazahov. Ashirim bring Bikurim in baskets of Zohar Vakesef, in very fancy, beautiful baskets. Vanim, but poor people bring Basali Nesarim Shalarova Klufa. They bring in wicker baskets made out of reeds. Hasalim Vahabikurim Noisnim Lekayhanim. The Salim, the baskets, and the Bikurim are given to the Kayhanim. But the fancy Kesef and Zohar Klosos, the baskets made out of silver and gold, they go back to the rich owners. So you see that poverty follows the poor because the poor man has got to actually give his basket with the Bikurim and he doesn't get the basket back. The rich man gives Bikurim on a fancy platter of silver or gold but he gets his basket back. You see therefore that poverty follows the poor. What's the Svara for that? So again, it's the same idea. Imagine, you've got a wealthy man he gives, uh, he comes along with a basket laden, full of beautiful, delicious fruit. He brings it to the kohen. He empties it out onto the table. You've got an abundance of fruit that is being given to the kohen. He takes his basket home. Why? The mitzvah is to give bikurim, to give the fruit, not to give baskets. But if the poor person were to do the same, that's dangerous. Why? Because Nebuch, what's his basket? His basket has got a pomegranate, a couple of grapes. What fruit did he have already? So if he were to spill that into the, onto the table, there'll be a few grapes rolling around on the table. It's embarrassing. To save the embarrassment of the Oni, just let him give that wicker basket to the Kohen. Let the Kohen just take it, because more important is to save the embarrassment of that poor person. One more vat, which we'll finish with. The Chaim <coughs> Kanievsky gave one other Eitzah as well. He gave the Eitzah of uh, strengthening ourselves in the area of Lashon Hara. We know that this self-isolation is a throwback to Bodod Yeshev. Everyone is sitting on their own in their own Daladamas. Bodod Yeshev was the consequence of the of Tzoras. That a person who, there are different things he could have done, but one of them is, he spoke Lashon Hara, so he's got to go Chutz Lemachane. There's a famous vote of the Imri MS. Now I said this recently, but I want to just say it again because I share, uh, because I, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a story which I'd like to share which I think is, is remarkable. The Imri MS asks Akasha. The Imri MS says, there are different stages to the Tsaras. A person is suspected, he gets a nega, some sort of affliction, he goes to the Kohen, the Kohen says, well, we'll have to see. Bodod Yeshev, I'll come back next week, and if it spreads, then you're Tomei. If it hasn't spread, you're Tahar. Fine. So the guy goes, Bodod Yeshev, he secludes, and after a week the Kohen says to him, no, you're clear, you're okay, you can go home. In today's 21st century litigious society, the guy would turn around and said, hey, there's been a miscarriage of justice, it's not fair, what did I do wrong? I was Tahar, I had to leave my business, I was away from my family, it was embarrassing. He would sue, and he's not wrong. How do we, why is he being punished for something which he didn't do? Says the Imri Emes, the third Gerarebbe, an amazing thing. That sometimes he actually is being punished. Not so much for the Lashon Hara and for the bad words that he spoke, 
but for the lack of good words that he didn't speak. That is also worthy of Bodad Yeshev. So perhaps, we're not Nevi'im, we don't know, but perhaps one lesson that we can take home is to strengthen the positive things that we do say. Let me just finish with one remarkable story. Positive and thanks and praise go a long, long way. Zalmi Unsdorfer, I'm sure we all know from here in London, tells a remarkable story. He was once on a plane and he sees someone from across the aisle who he thinks he recognizes and this is one of his heroes. There's a famous uh, soldier here in England called Colonel Richard Kemp. He's, at one point he was one of the most decorated soldiers in uh, the British Army. He led expeditions in I think Iraq, Afghanistan, etc. In addition to all of that, he's a tremendous advocate of the Jewish people of Israel and he, he said something remarkable. He went over to him and he said to him, tell me, are you Richard Kemp? He said, yes. He said, I'd like to shake your hand. He stretches out his hand and says, I want to thank you for everything you do on behalf of the Jewish people. So Richard Kemp says, you're very welcome. Thank you. Very nice of you to tell me. He says, tell me, Zalman says to him, he says, how did you start with this? You're not a Jewish person. Why do you stand up and advocate on behalf of the Jewish people so much? Where does it come from? So Richard Kemp said something amazing. He said, you know, I often think about that. He said, I remember, I think the source is this. When I was a little boy, my parents sent me off to, uh, not my uncle and aunt, they lived in Devon, in a, in a little cottage. And there I was, eight, nine years old, I was a little boy, I was there in the countryside, I had a lovely time, but for hours, many times, I was bored. And my uncle and aunt had a bookcase, and occasionally, I would, on a wet day, I would sit, I would look, and I would read, and there was a book there called The Yellow Star. And The Yellow Star is a biography about a person's experiences in the Holocaust, and I used to read that, and perhaps that's got me interested in the Jewish people, the Holocaust, and that's why I always advocate on their behalf. So the Richard so Zaman Unsdorfer says to him, the Yellow Star? Is that written by someone called Mr. S. Unsdorfer? So Richard Kemp said, yes. Zalman says to him, that was my late father. He wrote that book, he, his own autobiography of his experiences in the camp. He says, that's amazing. There were 200 copies printed. How one book makes its way to some cottage in Devon, I've got no idea. But a little Richard Kemp happened to chance upon it read it, and that fueled the passion to speak on behalf of Klal Israel on so many occasions. So say thank you, and saying going up to a person and thanking a person and saying good things sometimes goes a long way that Rizalman was able to get such nechama that it was his own father's book which was the trigger to all that wonderful advocacy. So there you have it, Pasha's Vayikra, Karbonus seemingly so distant from us, but I think lots of very interesting messages. The small Aleph of Vayikra teaches Anova. That is the message of Chaim Kanievsky said that we should strengthen ourselves in. And that's the Gemara in Horius. The message of Rabbi Yosef says the Tosis Sarosh. that display of 22 years of deference to Rabbah, that tremendous Anova, saved him for 22 years and his family from ever needing to have their blood let. That's the idea. And the Orch HaSadikim, that one act by Anova is accepted in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Elef Yodos Yosem Yemaisa Godel Shela And maybe that's why, Vayitzin we say, 
that Gdulos uh, because it's a reminder of that's how we should enter a new week. And then we said, no artificial flavoring, that we have no dvash, but only salt, because we have to bring out our koichus, our talents, true humility as opposed to false humility. And lastly, that beautiful idea of the saving the embarrassment of the poor koihen, that we burn the feathers because that reich ra is actually a reich nechoyach, and that's the lesson from Bikurim as well.